Ready for another episode of Wanderings and Wool Gathering? Good. Here's Foggy. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 52, proudly hosted by North Central Indiana's Rock 98.5. Tonight's episode is brought to you by BreakTheForth.com, a blue HQ media venture featuring the latest on music, TV, and comics. Tonight on the show, we're going to play Who's That Band, inspired by the great Lester Bangs. We're going to discuss our music, Tied to Memories, and we're going to review Testament, Titans of Creation. I'm your host, Foggy, and with me, as always, is Metalhead Monday. Step inside into his mind, his boy band time, it's Metalhead Monday. How you doing, everybody? We are doing great. Glad to have you tonight. And back by no actual demand, other than the fact that we love him, is JPP. Feels good to be loved there. How's it going? Going great. Glad to have you back, buddy. It's been hey. a while. Yes, it has. It has. Uh, my bandwidth has uh, been something else. So I'm glad to be able to have a little downtime and reconnect, talk about music. Awesome. And yeah. Mr. Pearl Jam himself, Mr. Joe Reif, rejoins us again this week. Welcome hello, back. Hello, hello. Thank you for the invite again. It's good to be here. We are glad to have you. Carried the show last week. You, you knew a lot of stuff, so. Well, awesome. yeah. JPP, did you have a chance to listen to the show last week? Uh, I listened to a little bit of it. Um, we had a couple of small fires. What's crazy is I'm busier now than I n normally am, but uh, it, so I, I had it on in, in passing, and I need to go back and finish it up. So I'll, I'll do my homework. I don't. I do know Joe, so it's not like I had to do any kind of investigative uh, journey to make sure we'll gel. He, he's good people. <laughs> Why? Thank you. <laughs> yep. I. Uh... <laughs> I listen. It's funny because I get to listen to the show back the next morning, and I'm pretty critical of of me. And I say um a lot. Kind of drives me crazy. So tonight, I'm gonna work on that. I need to get a little shocker. So every time you say it, I just hit it. And you're like um, <laughs> <laughs> or just a chime would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the viewers or listeners would hate us by the time we're done. Let's not make that a drinking game. <laughs> Indeed. Well, right now Joe's the only one that could play. Because <laughs> he's rolling a rocking out. I I did come prepared. I will admit that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, hey, let's. Um, we got a lot to do tonight, so let's get started, and um, we're going to move on with Jeremy. Hit it. Uh, so I have the. I drew the short straw, and I get to do the Lester Bangs challenge this week. So I get to read the little review for you guys, and you guys have to guess who I'm talking about. And, this one's a little different. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of, it's a review of a show from last year. Uh, but see if you can tell who they're talking about. Now, is the show from last year or is the review <clears throat> from last year? Uh, well, both. Okay, okay. The show was actually last year and I assume this article was like the next day or something. Okay. Okay, let's see where I wanted to jump in here. Yes, here we go. Okay, so blank is prodigiously gifted, blessed with a beautiful voice, still pretty intact at 69, wonderful instrumental skills on piano, synthesizer, drums, harmonica, and something I've never heard of. Uh, plus a songwriting ability and musical imagination that go way beyond accepted pop norms. 
Um, his song catalog is a potent soundtrack to so many lives. And while aspects of Saturday's concert were shambolic, never heard that word, uh, a feeling of expensive karaoke, as my cousin put it, the sound and balance appalling for the first 30 minutes or so, by the time the last notes of song title had faded into the night air, it was impossible to feel anything but grateful to have spent the evening in Blank's company. There were moments when Blank seemed disoriented, songs where great chunks of lyrics were subcontracted to his backing vocalist and to the audience, lots of vamp-till-ready moments, but however much he protested that he was all good, all good, Traveling and performance must surely take its toll on his health just now. Uh, nevertheless, he was cheerful and seemingly happy to be there and genuinely grateful to the crowd. I love you. Thank you for all the years of supporting my music, he declared with real sincerity at the beginning of this song party. With so many of the great names of 60s rock are bowing out of live performance this year, it's hard to leave a concert such as this and not worry that this could be the last time. Blank is at the younger end of the greats and we must hope that he makes a good recovery because whatever the millennials may say, they don't make them like that anymore. Who is it? There's not much in there that gives it away other than 69. like the area he's from and yeah, so. Did he play all those instruments? Yes. It's got to be Moby. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't that old, is he? 69-year-old Moby? I don't know. Uh, God. Well, my, my first thought with all the instruments was Phil Collins, but then as you went on with the rest of the review, I thought, I don't know that he would put on such a crappy show. Sounded like <laughs> things went downhill pretty quickly. Well, now that you see that, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on that wagon, yeah, because he's he's not doing too hot. It was interesting <clears throat> because uh, there was more than one review from this tour that said similar things, like bad sound, different kind of stuff. And I will say this will this doesn't have anything to do with the artist, but one of them was from England, and this one that I was reading was from Ireland. So. Hmm. Oh. Clapton just turned 70, right? But again, I can't see him being yeah. so Did he play the drums? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't think I don't think Clapton's even playing out anymore. I think he's got something going on. I'll have to confirm it, but I believe he's like debilitated or he can barely play right now. Right. <clears throat> so see the out. problem is Monday's the one who guesses this every week, and when he doesn't get to guess, we can't get him. <laughs> make it hard on you, <laughs> you okay so i heard words like song party besides the instrumentation and 60s rock and then i heard good recovery too so i wondered if that was a reference to maybe ending the tour strong or is there a health yeah. factor in there i know i think it was the the tour or maybe even the show you know that it wasn't a health thing okay well then all right, I, I have no answer. We're going to sit here for 20 minutes with dead air. <laughs> Anybody want to make an official stab at it? I think Moby was as good of a guess as we, we're going to produce. <laughs> well, 
It was Mr. Stevie Wonder. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I, I saw several. I actually looked up because I was. Uh, we were listening to Stevie Wonder earlier, and I was like, it might be interesting if there's like any bad reviews of Stevie Wonder out there. So I just searched that. And a ton of them from this tour last year hit. <laughs> mm. They were all the same, like the terrible sound. And like he was kind of, one of them said like he, he had a DJ that for no apparent reason, they just <clears throat> stopped the show and he introduced the DJ and the DJ just started playing like his favorite songs. And the one Stevie's just sitting there on the stage like, like, Okay, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Man. But, yeah. Well, you stumped us. Yeah, no kidding. You know, speaking of bad shows, I've, I've been to shows where I've had some boring moments where I'm like, you know, it wasn't what I thought it was, but I've never had one where I thought it was so terrible I was willing to walk out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now I will say when we went to go see Kennel Corpse Life of Agony, we ended up leaving during yeah. Misfits, but, you know, we were also, you know, heading back a, a decent trek, and Misfits really weren't our thing, so that's kind of different. Um, but I remember uh, they sounded terrible too. But that, that, that's true. <laughs> but um, I, I remember um, one of my colleagues when I worked at the record store, Karma, uh, Brad. He went to see Harry Connick, and it was during the album that he did that was more kind of an alternative rock thing, not his typical crooner. Um, he said people were just getting up and leaving within like 20 minutes because they were like, boo, we want, we want the classic Harry Connick Jr. We don't want this crap. And I was just completely, <laughs> you know, astounded. But it's like, if you bought the new album, you knew what you were going to get, right? But alas. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, good choice, Monday. That was, that was good. And next week, I'll be bringing the challenge. And my challenge is to stump Monday. I don't care if anybody else gets it. Gonna stump the metalhead. I don't get it every time. You do every almost every stinking time. I think I blurted out one last week ahead of you that, but you knew it. I just blurted. But it you saw, you could see my face, and you knew I had it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's the goal every week for now. This needs to be like an actual challenge where if Monday gets it, he wins a prize, and if we stump him, we get a prize. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so. All right. Well, that means we're moving on to. Tony's challenge from last week, and his challenge is brought to you by Small Giant Designs, a uniquely creative all-in-one design and marketing agency offering print, web, video, and marketing. You can visit smallgiantdesigns.com to get started. And his challenge was for each of us to come up with two songs that are tied to memories. So I... I think uh, he had had this last week and Joe came up with one. He talked about a memory he had while listening to Pearl Jam mowing. I think it was. So it was kind of appropriate that Tony's mm-hmm. challenge dealt with that. So we will go round Robin. And um, I have an order here that we put out on the uh, set list. You guys want to go by the order? Sure. Yep. Sure. It's fine. All right. Uh, my first one. Can I do an album instead of a song? I'm going to do it anyway. I did some videos. We'll allow it. All right, fine. Um, I still remember the day that I went to get Siamese Dream, like vividly walking into a store. It was in Bloomington on Kirkwood Avenue. And um, I was so jazzed because Gish 
just blew me away. It was so different. I loved that record. So when Siamese Dream came out, I was totally stoked and went to this place. And then a few years ago, I try to go back every Thanksgiving weekend to an IU basketball game and we go down to Nick's. It's just down the street from there. The store is still there. It doesn't sell CDs anymore. It's more of a, like a spirit store, but um, it was cool just to walk back in there um, just because I remember so vividly going in and getting that, that CD that day and then wearing it out forever and ever and ever for all my drives to Indianapolis and back every day. So that was my first memory. Nice. I have. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> yeah, that's, it's, it's funny how, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily a particular song. It's the, the atmosphere and the mood when you're acquiring a purchase like that too. Cause it's like looking forward to the release. And um, you know, if you're a regular, you know, the people too. So a lot of times kind of like, you know, your buddy, my buddy at the comic book store, he knows what you want. He'll have a folder ready for you, stuff like that. And they'll, they'll have you in front of mind. Hey, I knew you'd be in today. This is here ready for you. Yeah. They yeah. I have like a, that, but. <laughs> <laughs> I have a similar thing like that with Metallica. Cause I, I don't know why, but I remember the day that the black album came out. I believe it was August 12, 91. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember picking that up. And I also remember, Paul, when you worked at Karma, when they had a, like a midnight release for when Load came out. Mm -hmm. Yep. I remember letting us in the store beforehand and we were kind of hanging out with you. And then after everybody left and you locked the door, we were still hanging out with you. So. Yep. <laughs> Jamming and having a good time and, uh, you know, selling some, some Metallica late at night. Joe, I remember uh, buying Versus at the Castleton Mall because I lived right up the street from there. Oh, the so Castleton Mall. Busted it to the mall to pay for an overpriced CD. What store was that? Was that a, a Music Land or I don't remember. Music Land, I think, at that yeah. point. Or Sam Goody, maybe. By that, mm -hmm. I can't remember if that ro rotated over or not. But, yeah. Well, you're up, Joe. My uh, first memory song took me back to college, back to the dorms. We had uh, a quad, and we had uh, – what we did was we had two um, – we had two sets of guys in there. So we had four total. And then we had kind of a drifter who would come in and sleep on our couch making the fifth. Um, so we had like a bedroom, then we had like a hangout room. So the guys that wanted to study could stay up and we spent a lot of time studying. And we also spent a lot of time on Napster because the great <laughs> thing about going to college when I did was that you left your parents' house and you went to college for the T1 internet. And uh, <laughs> Napster was the thing back then. And, and, uh, so we were ripping songs constantly and you'd get on and uh, you'd find somebody with a good connection and uh, you'd download from them. You'd go to class, you'd come back and your song would be done or it would be rejected for some reason. And that was the worst <laughs> feeling in the world. So my first memory song was one that we downloaded off Napster and then we burned it to a CD. And then my friend and I went out driving in his, uh, his Ford Torino uh, into all hours of the night because uh, we were both, you know, not wanting to stay on campus, but it's a, a song called uh, Where Did You Go by Full Devil Jacket. And uh, they weren't ever really like really big in the metal scene or the hard rock scene, but they kind of tagged along with some some groups and opened for some bands. And I think that was their only big tune, but uh, firing up the Torino and putting in some Full Devil Jacket was uh, one of my fondest memories of the last things that I can remember. So that one, popped right into my head as soon as I did the challenge. Full Devil Jacket, where did you go? Cool. 
Thank you. I remember them barely. Yeah, see, you would. That's <laughs> you may have caught them opening for somebody, or you may nope. have heard them in passing, <laughs> but that's about it. Yeah, yep. it was pretty obscure. And I think the the singer went on and kind of like gave up on rock and roll, kind of disavowed it, went Christian, uh, bounced around. They were pretty obscure, but that song to me is not. So did he start another band called Full Angel Jacket? Oh, uh, probably. <laughs> or he's in the he's in the Newsboys. I don't know. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about college too, is you get a, a wealth of obscure music from either friends and just word of mouth flyers, whatever the case may be, you know, whatever band may be stopping through on the tour even. So that's mm -hmm. cool. Yep. All right. That brings us to uh, Mr. Mundy. Okay. Um, well, you asked about albums and I mean, I kind of cheated with my first one too, because I went with a couple of videos. So, um, I, and I'm glad Paul's back on this one because these both have to do with him. Uh oh. Uh, the <laughs> Enter Sandman, Enter Sandman video, and the video for Anthrax's Only. Uh, both of those I saw for the first time at Paul's house. Oh, that's right. Um, he had recorded them from MTV. Uh, this was on a VCR. Kids. Oh yeah. Um, oh. Google that. Uh, <laughs> It may have even been our but, own beta. No, I don't think so. I think it was a VCR. No, no, no but, VHS. Uh, yeah. Beta Max. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, so I and I distinctly remember going in and sitting on his couch and being all excited and Paul put the tape in and hit play and the the MTV world premiere video thing popped up and away we went. Yep, that, that's right. That was for both of them, both of those songs. Yeah, you see that world premiere sign, you're like, holy crap, it's happening. It's kind of like the Ethical Star Wars. You know? I'm like, all right, let's do this. Love that we all used to have to tape everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, especially when you taped it off the radio, it's like, quit yep. talking, DJ. I want to finish the whole song. Uh -huh. <laughs> all right, it's going to be 70 degrees. You know? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> And he stops just half a second before the singer starts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you got to hit that post, man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> awesome. Uh, JPP. Oh, my turn. First. Yeah. Okay. So this one's going to go back to when I was a wee lad in the 80s. Um, I think at the time I was really into He-Man, uh, <laughs> maybe even Ghostbusters, things of that sort. But I was with my mom at Service Merchandise, she was uh -huh. there. Uh -huh. Coolest store ever. Yes, getting something off the old conveyor belt. That's, <laughs> that concept might work today. In today's environment, I think maybe the conveyor belt. I, I think <laughs> they have a business model. Let's talk after the show. <laughs> but yes, so I was there with her, and you know, we'd go through the uh, various sections. My favorite was the electronics in the back, because they always had the Synsonics guitar with the speaker built in, so I'd go oh, yeah. there. They do that wail on it um or go over to the toy section it was always adjacent to the gardening section so it smelled like weed killer and then you'd see he-man you know so mm -hmm. weird but i remember hearing for the first time at that store uh new shoes i can't wait and you know at the time i was always fascinated by you know synth sounds and stuff like that even at an early age but uh just the little samples of the vocal melody and, and the way the beat kicked in and stuff. I was like, I love that song. So I would keep my ear glued to the radio, just looking for it. And then I finally found it and discovered who it was. 
and uh, started you know, looking for it to record it and things like that. So that was one of my first uh, obsessions where I must have that song on a tape. Yeah, what a store. Oh. I think we all got to go there, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Watching your to... stuff come down the conveyor belt from upstairs was so cool. It Except for when it rolled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're breaking my big wheel. <laughs> I should point out too. Let's see. Do you remember about what year that was, Paul? That you would have been. Oh, I'm. I want to. I'm going to take a stab because it's blurry. I'm going to say eight, between '84 and '86, sometime around there. Because the the spelling of the band New Shoes is is just quintessentially 1980s. Am I correct? N U S H O O Z. That is correct. So <clears throat> look, you know. Try to try to get that on maps, or somebody's going to spell it wrong. But <laughs> yeah, new shoes on the block. <laughs> I'm hitting Napster right when the show's over. Not what I mean. <laughs> All right, well, that brings us back around to me. Now, <laughs> Paul, last week I told Tony I really was going to go with the Rush Moratorium, and then he had to come up with this stupid challenge. So it's not my fault. <laughs> Got it here. After tonight, though, seriously, we're starting it. All right. So I remember uh, when, we, when I was a kid, we always uh, vacationed all summer at, in Rochester. My parents always got a, a lake cottage there for the summer until eventually they just moved up there and bought a house. But for a couple of years, we did houseboating in um, Tennessee on Dale Hollow Lake. And so this would have been late 70s, 80-ish, right in there. So it was not too long after Permanent Waves came out. But I remember we had made tapes and we took them on on there with us. And I think I had my Walkman and, or maybe it's a Junkman. <laughs> Before Walkman got cool, I can't remember. Um, and I remember listening to Permanent Waves over and over. And I loved um, Entre New and Different Strings. Very different for them. But um, that's really what got me hooked on on Rush for the long haul. And then, of course, right after that, or about the same time, uh, moving pictures came out and then it was full on at that point. So mm-hmm. <laughs> game yep. set match. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I can still picture sitting there looking out the front windows or cruised around the lake in the old nice. houseboat. All right, Joe. All right. Uh, my second pick is meat plow by the stone temple pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it represents rock and roll to me because a very specific reason. I had uh, bought a, a made in Mexico Stratocaster. I had come across a crappy little PV amp and I spent a lot of time in my bedroom with those items and I moved them to the garage one night when I was out in the garage playing meat plow on that Fender PV setup and uh, had a good amount of little, you know, distortion, thought I sounded pretty good. Uh, and I remember my mom came out and she was like, you know, that's pretty loud or, you know, that's, that's way too loud. And I'm like, yeah. And, um, she's like, well, we had a, we had a a neighbor across the street. She was an older lady and she's like, you know, don't you care that she can hear it or, you know, you're going to disturb her. And I said the most rock and roll thing I could for like a 15 year old. I don't care, mom. And I was playing. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, the lines were drawn after that. (laughs) <laughs> but but the song I was playing the night that I went, I guess bad. I guess the night that I chose rock and roll was Meat Plow by the Stone Temple Pilots. 
which Joe Rife. You want Yeah. <laughs> Horrible neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care about my neighbors and they're, you know, but uh, when you expand that out into um, an album discussion, you know, Purple is one of those albums that once it got in your CD player, at least in my world, it stayed in there for a while. Um, I still, I think Wyland's voice uh, while smooth, you know, at times, and then he'd, he'd get into his, his scary, you know, roar and that kind of thing. But, but, but Purple had that uh, studio kind of slickness production and it had the, you know, I, I guess post grunge, even though it was happening while grunge was going on, they kind of, they kind of had the California sound um, that was different than Seattle. But my buddies and I played the crap out of Purple by the Stone Temple Pilots. Okay. Uh, this one's kind of a cheater, too, because it's kind of a song, but it's kind of more than a song. Um, I remember when I got the KMFDM Light EP. Uh, so basically what they did was they would release like a CD single and it would have remixes and stuff on it, too. Well, Light, they called it an EP, but it had like nine songs on it. It had the original song and like eight different remixes. And I was so excited when I got it. And I took it over to my girlfriend's house and I popped it in the CD player. And I was, we were listening to it for a while and just kind of, you know, hanging out and listening to it. And then after about the third or fourth one, she just looked at me and she said, is this all the same song? She was so disgusted. And I'm like, yeah, it's remixes. It's cool. <laughs> so, but I will never forget that. It was just it's so funny. It just it's always stuck with me. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been in similar situations listening to, you know, Nine Inch Nails remixes, on, you know, from single disc, whatever Halo that was. But um, the other day I was goofing off with my Google Home and I asked it to play Ski Ba Ba Dee Ba Da, and it played Scatman. And uh, my <laughs> daughter loved the song instantly. So now I've heard it five times today. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact. So I'm like, yeah, um, I, I deserve that one. <laughs> is that your new song memory? <laughs> yes, now it is. It, it will be my present day memory that I'll probably forget in 10 years. So. <laughs> All right. Well, what is your uh, your final memory? Well, it's funny because I picked three, thinking you know normally we we did three in the past, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip my second one just because you know husband points. But uh, Maxwell's cover of this woman's work um, was a special song to my wife and I. Uh, I played that CD for her, and she fell in love with his voice and um, really enjoyed you know the the album overall. And we actually danced to that tune at our wedding. So um, that one certainly is a, a fond memory in that regard. And it was funny, the, the chaos of that day, because I was the groom and I had to be the sound technician to set up the sound system before the reception. And you know, cause I was scrambling around. Luckily it was in the same building, but uh, we got everything kind of fired up and ready to roll. And, and uh, yeah, by the time, I remember all that. Yeah. By the time I was dancing, it was a nice hot August night. And uh, I probably looked like, you know, a drowned basset hound, but uh, we pulled it off. That, that was that. And, you know, one... Yeah, there was a couple... There. Go ahead. 
I was just saying, I remember there was a couple of times that night you looked like you wanted to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when, you're, when your uh, technician doesn't show up, what do you do? But uh, one thing yeah. I wanted to say, as an aside, you know, Steve, you mentioned the, uh, you know, remembering purchasing the album. There was a day where I went to Indianapolis with a colleague of mine in high school. We were video editors for a, a vocational class we took. And we made uh, state finalists for uh, Project Excel. And so when we came back, he dropped me off in my car, which was in front of Karma. And I hopped in and was like, you know what? I didn't place, but I made it. I'm going to go get myself a couple of CDs. I had some some Burger King minimum wage cash on me. So I went in there and I bought Weezer's Blue album. And I also bought Lard's Last Temptation of Reed. Um, nice. I remember that day very vividly. It's like, you know. I, I earned that after, you know, working hard to, to get to that point. So every time I hear those albums, I, th I think of that day fondly. I didn't know you ever worked at Burger King. Oh, yeah. Monday and I both did. Heck yeah, we opened the one uh, by Indian Heights, man. Yeah. We, and, we uh, started working there before it was even open. We had to go train in like Marion. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. I, and it was funny too, because his aunt was the manager. So when she yep. interviewed me, it wasn't any interview questions. It's like, okay, you're going to start this day. You're going to get paid this much. And this is what we expect. And I was like, man, <laughs> that's how it works. Nepotism. Hey, whatever it takes. One time we were, um, uh, I was, it was after college, kind of in between everything. And they were having a house party and I cashed out early and somebody downstairs was playing the blue album from Weezer so damn loud that I like woke up and I'm like, Oh my God, is Weezer in my bedroom? This is incredible. <laughs> um, and I remember my friend like coming upstairs. He's like, Oh, I didn't know you were asleep. I'm like, yeah, could you please? I think it was um, ironically only in dreams, but I was like, I'm not dreaming. I'm trying to go to work tomorrow. You guys don't mind. So did you tell him to turn that down in case your neighbor could hear it? Yeah. Yeah. I was just, <laughs> 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 there goes the neighborhood and there's that guy living here now <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> well played foggy well played all right well excellent job and it looks like i am the one who has the challenge next week and so i thought about this idea earlier and i was going to run it past you all but since i'm in charge tonight i'm just going to do it because i don't care wing it and if you guys want to jump in and continue in the weeks to, to come, that's fine. If not, it'll just swing around when, when it's my turn. Um, but what I thought we would do is go by decade that we've been alive and just choose our top five songs from each decade. We will start with the 70s. <laughs> Monday is so excited. Look at him. So anyway, your there's, top five songs. too much. From the 70s. Well, it's not like I said, hey, pick your top five songs of all time. At least now, by the time we get up here, we're going to have a lot of songs to deal with. So, only dealing with the 70s here. Sound good? Top five from the 70s. Yep. All right. Five decades. Oh, that's humbling. It is. Mine's going to be all disco. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. Tavares better be on there somewhere. I'm going to be really disappointed in you guys. <laughs> Number one, Disco Duck. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no disable Dizutch. <laughs> well, at this point then, I guess we can confirm it. Challenge accepted. All right. 
Well, that brings us to the work of the week, which was Testament Titans of Creation. And so uh, we're going to break this album down and go track by track. And then at the end, we'll give our, uh, our full scores and some overall thoughts about the record. So we begin with Children of the Next Level with Paul and Jeremy. And if you want to give a little intro to the album since we're getting started, that, uh, that'd be great as well. Yeah, Monday, you um, want to do that? <clears throat> yeah, sure. Um, I believe this is Testament's 13th studio album. Um, they've been around since the 80s, Bay Area thrash metal band. Uh, I believe they were originally called The Legacy, had to change their name to Testament. So then they named their first album The Legacy. I don't, you know, they've been around forever. They're still kicking ass. And I believe there are three of the original members still in the band. And uh, the two, the other two they have playing with them, which is basically the rhythm section, is they're pretty amazing. Kind of the top of their top of their respective crafts in the metal world. Mm-hmm. So they got a pretty kick-ass band, and it, I think it showed on this record. Certainly, and I will add to that that the uh, rhythm section is uh, Gene Hoagman and Steve DiGiorgio, who also were affiliated with Death back in the day, which was some pretty interesting yep. complex metal. If you haven't heard it, I highly suggest it. Rest in peace, Chuck Schuldiner, a uh, fantastic musician, and he was really ahead of his time back then, for sure. He really pushed the envelope yep. with harmonies and, and whatnot. Of course, he had a brutal death growl, but he definitely wrote some interesting crafted music, and those guys really did a, a nice job of accentuating it. Um, but yeah, I'll go ahead and start with uh, you know kind of the the... Uh, reaction or the impression basically I, I wrote short notes um, I didn't get a chance to listen to this album a ton but basically it's a great start to the album it's thrash where it's made it's the gallop it's the you know the riffs the, the gallop that's what I wrote down you know the, <laughs> you know yeah. I'm out of tune sorry but you know you gotta you gotta have that for some classic thrash for sure and um, it's interesting that you know Chuck is really kind of stayed on par with some of the the classic vocal stylings that he had in the past i'm i'm hearing a lot of uh souls of black era uh riffage and energy with this for sure and um it's just awesome i'd love to see this uh particular song live because it sounds crazy as hell but i know that gene would basically be up there pretty effortlessly playing it because he's really chill nonetheless but um no great way to start the album for sure yeah, it is a very solid opener, and I def- I wrote down the first thing I wrote down about this song was the gallop, because that's <laughs> that pretty classic thrash gallop riff yep. rhythm. And uh, this song's interesting. I don't know. It, it's about the Heaven's Gate cult. Hmm. If anybody checked out the lyrics, like that's <laughs> that's what it's about. But I don't, I don't know how they settled on that topic, but interesting choice but good opener solid solid riffs good song yes yes i would agree next up is world war three and uh this song was a juggernaut of brutality kick drums in full effect had a really good guitar groove i like that it was kind of a lot of the songs are similar in this but i like that the lines were short 
and kind of were delivered in little bursts, which I think was kind of effective on a song that's about destruction and ending the war or the world with, you know, bombs and all that kind of stuff. I think it helped to put more emphasis on the words. It was definitely a desolate, <laughs> bleak song. Um, but man, it really kicked it. It was, uh, it was aggressive as hell. I, I really like that song. Well, when uh, I renew my vows with my wife and we have another ceremony, we'll be sure to slow dance to it. Is that what you're saying? I, I'm thinking that would be a good call. <laughs> I picked a bleak one. I'm going to add that one to my uh, funeral list. <laughs> oh, man. I have to go back a few shows. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Anybody have any uh, comments would like to share or move on to? Uh, yeah, I thought it was. No, I, on World War Three. I thought it was interesting that uh, uh, thrash bands have always been kind of political. Like that's just kind of part of the part of the deal with a lot of the thrash bands. And I thought it was interesting that in 2020, they're still writing songs about nuclear bombs. Well, we have a lot of idiots in charge of buttons. So <laughs> it's not like it's that, that far fetched really. I thought I ordered the Coke. Oh. <laughs> and then the, the clock, the, the doomsday clock, it's at like the, the closest that's ever been. Right. So it's kind of a timely number for this day and age. <laughs> Yeah, and us as humans, we're not really good at protecting things that are important. So, except for our families with guns, apparently. <laughs> that's, that's about it. Buttons are the least of our worries. <laughs> um, all right, so I think we all agree that that was a pretty good song. And that brings us to Dream Deceiver. Joe? Yeah, Dream Deceiver doesn't seem to have any specific um, topic, it's just kind of a general somebody who won't let him alone. And I thought it was really interesting the way that the song just sort of took you through the feeling of insomnia. It was a real restlessness to it. You kind of machine gun blast your way through the chorus, which if you've ever had a sleepless night, you know what that feels like where you just, there's something pounding or going on. I, I just thought that that thrashy part was great and uh, also a little bit symbolic. And then it gets to the solo and you, you almost feel like this guy's going to get, a little bit of reprieve and he doesn't so um you know the lyrics are are tormented and the music just reflects it too i thought it was a solid tune that, that um you know the, the music went hand in hand with these lyrics and and very relatable i don't know much about the uh what was it the heaven's gate cult i know they were the people with the sweatpants mm. right <laughs> i feel like no, no kool-aid no kool-aid the nikes yeah nikes, yeah <laughs> But definitely having somebody, you know, get in your headspace like that. Uh, man, this song was like the perfect representation of that for me. I kind of dug deeper into it. I, when I first saw the, the title, I immediately thought, Dream Deceiver. But then I thought, <laughs> Kirk Weinstein from Crowbar covering Dreamweaver. And uh, it took a different turn than I anticipated for sure. Um, I wrote down, of course, Gene is a Beast. This song definitely had a throwback to Souls of Black to me. Um, that album era, just that energy and, and just style of riffage. But what stood out to me the most on this, and Monday, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but during the chorus, when it kind of hit the whole note sections, the had a bit of a, a domination by Pantera vibe. Just the way that groove held out. Whoops, I hit the mic, sorry. But uh, the way that groove kind of held, and, and um, I can almost hear, hear Phil Anselmo singing on top of it because it almost played that tempo and just played the, the chords the same way. But uh, not that they were ripping it off, but it definitely 
just had kind of a throwback vibe across the board. And Joe, in case you don't know, I, I tend to look at the, the song from, you know, the riffs and the pers perspective of production and things like that more than the lyrics. But uh, um, that's what really just kind of stood out, you know, immediately, essentially. But uh, mm -hmm. it's a banger. It's definitely not the, the slow, dreamy Dreamweaver. Not at all. <laughs> that I mentioned. <laughs> I, I do kind of want you to record that new version of Dream Deceiver, though. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Dreamweaver. Ouch. All right. All right. Night of the <clears throat> Witch, Metalhead. Yeah. Um, this is one, one of the uh, two singles they released before the album came out, and it's pretty damn good. A uh, lot of cool riffage going on. Um, I love the change, uh, the... I don't know what you would call it. I'm not a, I'm not a musician like Paul, so I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and about the middle of the song, uh, they had a like a different part come in. It's pretty sweet. Um, and the lyrics are interesting, you know, just kind of about a coven of witches casting evil spells and dancing around fires and lots of cool imagery and stuff like that. So um, it's just, Pretty, pretty heavy, pretty, pretty good song. Yep, I would agree. <clears throat> um, still angry, <laughs> still an onslaught coming at you. I, I thought it was kind of interesting. At one point, I was looking at this trying to figure out the rhyme scheme because there was a lot of rhyming on it. And it's just it's kind of an interesting thought. So you got something so angry and hitting you like these songs do that they're rhyming. But I didn't see a rhyme scheme. But uh, <laughs> there still was lots of rhyming and I liked it. <laughs> Anybody else need to weigh in on Night of the Witch? Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> that was great, Paul. You looked up there like we were the Brady Bunch. You looked up like you were looking at Joe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> they were the original users of Zoom. What can I say? Yes. Dang it. See, we're going to have to get the video out there now. <laughs> All right. City of Angels, Joe. City of Angels starts off with this, like, uh, I don't know, lazy kind of little groove uh, to give the bassist a little love. Uh, for a minute there, it doesn't go on too long, but just long enough, you kind of get this this sense of security, and then you're just blasted, right? So they kick into it. Um, I love the breakdown of this song. Um, I love coming out of the breakdown. They managed to work in the line "Metropolitan Bloodbath." I thought that was just about the coolest thing I'd heard on the album. I don't know why I like that so much. Uh, I like that kind of. Uh, lol thrash dynamic that they had going on here especially again since it featured the bass um you know about halfway through i was just kind of like listening on my headphones and and getting into it and i'm like what what are we talking about here so i went to the lyrics yeah and i realized why i was so unsettled because of all the yep. serial killers richard ramirez creeps me the f out <laughs> i mean i can read all night long about Dahmer. And I can read about Gacy, who was a straight-up freak. But there's something about that picture of Ramirez. And, you know, uh, he was just so random. And he strung the LAPD, was it, for a while. Yes. And I kind of, yeah. you know, the song, again, sort of takes that same kind of path where he, it just builds and builds and builds. And, and uh, there's nothing, like, not necessarily satisfying, but you don't get the resolution i like these guys are the master of the storytelling with the music as the backdrop and once i started to read about old richard ramirez it was about 10 30 at night <laughs> i it was a 
it was a bad time to start that. So, Man. Yeah, that picture, like if there was ever anyone that looked like a serial killer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is that the one where it's like real toothy and just kind of... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of the vacant eyes, the gap teeth, the, the whole the whole thing. So Yeah. They they captured his essence, I think. <laughs> yeah. I started yeah. reading the lyrics too and I was like, wait, this sounds familiar. I think I know this story. And then I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'd actually forgotten about all that. That he was just sort of taunting law enforcement. And yeah, I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts, so <laughs> I've been listening to one that they've mentioned him a couple of times because there were similarities with the guy I was listening about. Like a copycat guy? Uh, not quite. Just a couple of similarities. All right. Ishtar's Gate. JP. Yeah. Classic thrash. I mean, that's really what I on that but it's interesting because um you know it doesn't come out with the onslaught like the others this is like the one that kind of tones it down a little bit because the bass <laughs> and the guitar kick it off and um it's uh, really did giorgio cool. kills on this one. Oh, i know i know and you know he 99 percent of the time he's playing a fretless bass and i think with fretless you get um a little bit of a, a kind of a smear in the pitch because you know you're not 100% on your intonation but if he's playing a fretless on this I can't tell um, it's definitely very solid and, and it's real glassy so you got the low end but you got that brash bite with the bass too just a great great tone and uh, you know Chuck kind of changed it up a little bit with with the vocal uh, styles a little bit too just um, it, it almost like I didn't recognize him for, for a second there but uh, just a solid delivery yeah that's one of the things I really love about Chuck Billy is he he can do so many different voices like he I mean he's got everything he, he can sing he can scream he's got a really sick low low growl he can go into and, and this is he's he's kind of all over it on a couple of the songs on this one and like I said I love the the crazy crazy sick bass work by steve giorgio on this song uh this one ishtar's gate like i did i don't know a lot about who ishtar is i mean i've heard the name and all that and obviously the horrible movie from way back when um but yeah so i i i this actually got me researching ishtar a little bit so that was pretty cool so, uh, you know, anything that makes me uh, want to learn something, I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> That's one of the great things about doing this show is it forces us to go find new stuff. Because yep. you wouldn't have done that otherwise. Yeah. Perhaps. Excellent. Next up is Symptoms. This for me was kind of a big departure from the other songs. Um, had a nice change of pace throughout the song. There was... It was less of that aggressive onslaught. Um, in the beginning, especially, we didn't have a lot of the double bass drum. We had some nice quick drum rolls, which I thought were really nice in there. Um, we did have a little nice bass work. Um, and then one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is the chorus was made up of just one word, lines, all the way through. And it, I, when I looked, I was trying to listen and check the lyrics at the same time, and I scrolled down before it got there and looked, and I thought, that's weird, you know. But it worked. And like, like you said, Jeremy, his 
voice works in so many different ways. And the next one I'm going to talk about in a little bit is where he, does, he changes again. And it's my favorite one on the record. So he can do about anything on here. And this song for me was really good. Um, nice departure. It, nice place in the album too, kind of in the middle, just past the middle. You get a little change up. And so I really dug that. Yeah, I like this song a lot. And like, you know, that's this chorus is the perfect example of what I was talking about with Chuck's voice because he does like three or four different things just in one chorus. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> this was one of my one of my highlights. Yeah, probably my second or third favorite. Really dug it. Next up, False Prophet. Yeah. Joe, you want to go or you want me to go? Uh, I don't really have much to say on False Prophet. It just kind of, it's, it's a solid tune. It thrashes, but I didn't have anything uh, note-wise to say about it. So you kick it off, man. <laughs> no worries. It's, it's definitely classic thrash. This actually reminded me of uh, some of the Practice What You Preach era uh, testament, for sure. It just solid groove. Um, uh, Chuck's uh, vocal stylings definitely reminded me of that, too, just kind of hanging on a note and, and really using it through the words and uh, um, just nice little uh, syncopations here and there. And I will say on this album or this song here in particular, uh, I listened to this through my uh, speakers the first time. And then I kind of went through and did a quick recap of the songs that I was going to cover. And uh, when I listened to everything in my headphones, I, I enjoyed it more. Um, and this song kind of brought that to mind too, because of course, you know, when you're doing metal guitars, you're double tracking, you're panning things to the left and right. So it sounds huge. And they just did a really nice job of, of uh, kind of like taking practice what you preach and modernizing it for 2020. So I just got a nice nostalgic kick out of that for sure. And um, I just, what makes me want to go back and, and listen to this when I have time to really just focus on uh, the whole thing and, and experience the entire album with headphones. Yeah. Anytime a band can draw on things that they've used in the past, um, whether it's to a nod to the, to the lifelong fans or to the people that were with them from the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. or it's just in their DNA, you know, that's part of it too. Mm -hmm. It's nice when you come across a song like this in an album and you can say things like that. Yeah. That reminds me of this era. So that's, that's cool. Yep. Excellent. And that brings us to the healers. You want to go first, Monday? <clears throat> uh, sure. Uh, this one was really cool. It, has, it starts off with a really awesome groove, just kind of hits a pocket and it's a really cool groove. Um, the guitar solos I thought were pretty tasty on this one. Um, and the lyrics were kind of cool because it touches on uh, Chuck Billy's Native American heritage and he tends to do that, uh, I don't know if I would say one song every album, but he's done that quite a bit over the years. He's a very proud Native American, and he, you know, he likes to touch on that every once in a while, and this one definitely hit that, talking about, you know, the kind of a shamanistic feel and stuff. Great song. Yeah, this was my favorite song on the record. And I think Thanks this is, that. yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I don't care. Uh, and <laughs> I think this is, song. <laughs> uh, shows his, his uh, lyrical range a, a little more. He was a little more melodic in this one. There was a little more range in his voice. Um, I, and like you were saying about, you know, the 
sort of the mysticism or whatever, and you know, the Native American aspect. I thought that was really cool. And so I'm looking at the lyrics, you know, and he says, we use the earth for energy as far as I can reach. My healing power is crystal blue. So I'm like, you know, it sounds so cool. It's just got that cool vibe to it. Well, then you find out that was what his shaman or his medicine man told him to how to shrink his cancer was to focus on this oh, yeah. healing color. And so that's where that came from. And then the name in there, I looked it up. Was it Lujan? No, Lupon. L-U-P-A-N. Lupon. Yeah. I was like, what is that? Well, it turns out that was one of the medicine men that worked with him in, I think, 2001 when he had his cancer scare. So a lot of this song was dedicated to those guys um, who helped him to get through that. And so I thought that was really cool. And it added even more of a, a layer to that song that you wouldn't know just, you know, looking at it from the outside. So awesome song. Love that one. Yeah, that, that whole experience was an interesting story. Um, I remember reading it in an interview years ago and, uh, you know, glad he's still here on, on the side. <laughs> uh, Chuck, as well as several people on the last tour they had in Europe are, um, were tested positive for COVID-19. And so mm -hmm. speedy recovery to all of them, please. Um, you know what I mean? So uh, just just crazy, you know, the time we were, we were in and the fact that, you know, you're day by day touring, dealing with thousands of people in a given day. I mean, I, I felt like I was, uh, you know, around enough people working down in Indianapolis, but, you know, to have seas of people coming to see it just increases that ratio by that much. So um, I'm glad they're home and resting, you know what I mean? So I just wanted to throw that out there because, you know, these guys have been at it for a long time. They're, they're tough. and uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they'll, they'll get through that. For sure. All right. That brings us to the code of Hammurabi. Joe. Again, I took a look at the lyrics first and I had such high expectations for the song. I'm like, if they can, these lyrics are so cool. If they can match it with the music and they did not disappoint. But again, I got another bass song. I'm glad I got all the bass intro songs. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's, I'm not as well versed in the thrash metal. If that's a if that's a, a common element, that I think they should start a lot of songs with the bass. Um, uh, I, I I I love this was my favorite out of the ones that I reviewed. Probably my favorite on the album. Um, that, just for that fact, you know, I, I think they nailed the essence of the Code of Hammurabi. What can I say? <laughs> awesome. Well, if you love the the bass player's work, definitely check out uh, a group called Sadus, S-A-D-U-S, and Death. He was involved with both of those projects. And, uh, you know, I will say that, you know, given the earlier era of metal, bass wasn't as prominent given the fidelity of what we had at the time. But when he stands out, he definitely stands out. and It's, it's breathtaking. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, with the thrash metal is – uh, of all the genres of metal, the a lot of the guys in thrash tend to be more uh, virtuoso like because it they have to play so fast and a lot of the stuff is so technical. Like I mean, you have to be talented to pull that stuff off. So I mean, it's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And as a guy who's played basses in bands, it's always nice to get a bone thrown your way. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's the frame of reference I operate from too. So nice. Uh, Curse of Osiris. Yeah. I, uh, this is a cool one. I wrote pit ready 
It's a great tune. It's <laughs> definitely got the practice what you preach, Souls of Black Era, and kind of a little bit of the ritual even too. But um, when I heard this song, Monday and I've seen Testament live and great, great live band. Um, yep. I got to say, <laughs> Monday knows how I feel sometimes when we get up front. I, I get a little apprehensive when when the pit starts getting a really rowdy. Um, I took a knee to the kidneys at uh, Anthrax one time, and I never mm. forgot it. And uh, we were at Sacred Reich back in November or October. It was right before Halloween. And, uh, you know, the pit started getting a little intense. I kind of stood over to the side for a bit because my, my back was actually hurting and my, my leg was tingling. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't have it for it. But one of our friends came and pulled me back up front. Don't be a pussy. You get over here. <laughs> All this stuff. But uh, nonetheless, when I heard this song, the first thing I thought was if I go see them, on tour for uh, this album, uh, I'm definitely going to kind of stand to the side when this one's playing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they may even open a set with this tune because it's just so brutal and, and fast. Yeah, this one's definitely, definitely one of my highlights. Uh, Chuck, again, showing his range on the vocals. I love it. It's kind of all over the place. But yeah, it, it is, I, I wrote down, it is a straight ahead, balls out banger. So <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm right there with you. Uh, the lyrics are really cool. I mean, it's basically, it's the story of the, the murder of Osiris and his, the eventual uh, revenge of his son Horus. So you get a little Egyptian god action going on there, which I always like. I love, I love the uh, Egyptian uh, mythology and stuff. Very cool. And towards the end, it has a, spectacular use of the word regicide <laughs> nice not to be outdone by balls out banger yeah I can balls be out regicide. And <laughs> bob and boar do not rent that at blockbuster <laughs> not a problem <laughs> all right joe how did uh, catacombs close out the record catacombs was like a set of catacombs, atmospheric, dark, mysterious, almost like some kind of a place where people are buried. Although I was curious, and I wanted to hear you guys' take, um, if this was kind of a strange outro track for you, what do you think about that? Metal does weird things sometimes. Oh, yeah. it, it, what, what's funny is when I heard the groove, I thought, wait, is this over? Did I just go into low? Because it has the same kind of rhythm as right. the intro to low. But on top of it, then I started hearing synths and, and it was, okay, this is this is more atmospheric and instrumental. So it's kind of like, hey, guys, we have a little bit left in the budget. We haven't thrown the keyboard in yet. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Um, let's just kind of close the record. I'm kidding. Yeah, there was, a, there was a, this song's only about, what, 94 seconds long or something like that. Yeah. And it gets a decent amount of it is, is um, set aside for that synthesizer breakdown mm -hmm. part. And uh, I think, was that I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I didn't put it in my notes last week. Steve used the word breezy, and I I kind of felt like this was a breezy synth line. I don't know if that's what Steve meant last week or not, but was it breezy to you, Steve? No, okay, <laughs> <laughs> sure, Joe. It was breezy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Metal does not have some a... go ahead. 
not in a seals and croft kind of way of course but sure like, you know <laughs> yeah metal does have some gratuitous elements at times and, and uh synthesizer is one of them uh, in terms of you know you have kind of a synth string going on it kind of gives it a dirgy feel and uh you know it plays nicely with uh, the guitars and especially the lower tuning stuff but you know for me i, I think that it kind of ended the album a little weak in my personal opinion, but you know, when you go from curse of Osiris, it's like, how can you take it up a notch from there? So, mm-hmm. and, and they're just probably just, okay, let's wind them to a close. That way their heart rates back to normal and they can go about their day. Yeah. It's like a cool down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, th- I thought it was a fine closer. Um, I don't know on an album like this, what a good closer is because it's, it's really all over the place. <laughs> if you think about it. Um, so I, it was as good as anything else. And it was interesting, and it got us talking about it. So I think it did its job. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's go do a quick roundtable, give it our final scores out of five. I will start. Uh, well, I would say a four out of five. I was never – I listened to it quite a few times. I listened to it every time with headphones, and I was never taken out of the album. Never did I pause and be like, what? You know, or – question anything i thought it was just solid from beginning to end there were a few high points symptoms the healers definitely high points for me and world war three i thought was well and children okay so they're all pretty good so that's what i'll say four out of five who's next that would be Uh, i can go i'll go okay um i i think yeah this was interesting um this is i i read somewhere this is the first time that testament has recorded a consecutive album with the exact same lineup since like i don't like the 80s or something i don't know long time but i love this lineup it's they're also talented testament's been one of my favorite bands for a long time um this album i mean it, it stands up to the rest of their catalog lots of highlights there's really no low lights for me um Uh, The lyrics are all interesting. They're kind of all over the place. I thought it was interesting how much mysticism they went with. I mean, you know, we've got like shamans, uh, several different pantheons of uh, gods and mythology. I mean, it's just kind of, uh, you got witches. It's all over the place. And uh, uh, definitely, uh, definitely at least four out of five and I, I will definitely be listening to this this will this will be up there when i when i click on testament this will be at the top of the pile for a while go for the pile for a while got it <laughs> yeah it's a solid effort all the way around they they definitely share the stage between um virtuosity highlighting lyrics um uh, you know being mindful of uh just the, the breakdowns in the songs, the thrashing about it, it's great dynamics all the way through. Uh, I had to give it a three and a half just because I was so creeped out by Richard Ramirez, um, but otherwise it was a solid album. <laughs> Always a detractor there, isn't there? When it comes to old Richie. Come on, I want you to meet this new guy, man. No, anyway. All right, so... Joe, yeah. were you triggered? <laughs> uh... Yes. <laughs> Short answer, yes, I was. Uh, okay. Cool. I um, love this record. I need to give it 
a more thorough listen for sure. I felt like it was a nice trip down memory lane for me just from when I was cutting my teeth with guitar playing back in the day and um, enjoying practice what you preach and the legacy and uh, even, you know, the ritual. I will say though, I'll never forget speaking of memories uh, when I bought low and I popped it in the car and, you know, Skolnick had left the band. And so it's like, all right, let's see what they're, you know, going to deliver now. And James Murphy was uh, in the band at the time. Also uh, an alumni from death from the uh, uh, earlier era and even obituary. So popped it in, it's tuned low. Chuck is delivering vocals that I'd never heard before. Um, certainly one of my favorite Testament albums across the board. So I kind of use that as a benchmark for, you know, what I want to hear uh, when it comes to the, the heavy Testament stuff. But this certainly given 2020 and the production styles and things like that, it's a great record. The lineup, like Mundy said, really lends to that great musicians, great, uh, writing. Eric Peterson's a fantastic riff meister and it's great to have Skolnick back too. He's uh, a virtuoso magician, magician, musician, um, studied jazz for a while and he plays several styles. So that said, I'm going to give it a 4.25. Uh, we'll be listening to it quite a bit during this downtime for sure. Awesome. I'd say that's a uh, pretty positive round table for Testament. And next week, we're going to have a real departure from today. We're going to be doing The Strokes, The New Abnormal. I did mm -hmm. listen to the first couple of songs that uh, were previewed. Um, I assume they're going to be on Spotify as well. I'd listen on Apple Music, but they're good. I like them, just very different from what we listened to tonight. So next week's show ought to be really cool. I had a Stroke song as one of my memory songs, too. So it, really? it didn't make the final cut, but it was there. Well, I'll expect to hear about that next week. Before we wrong, were they not a thing for a while? Sorry. What's when was up? their their last record was out six years ago? Is that right? Um, Five, six? Hmm. Hold on. What you like guys uh, I'll look this up while you guys are telling us where we can find you on the interwebs. Paul, where can we find you? Best place is Instagram, just plain Paul, all one word. You'll find uh, little musical creations and whatnot, kind of working on an album in what little downtime I have, kind of collaborating with some people as well. Got some things in the works, and uh, you can kind of see little previews and snippets there. Instagram.com slash JustPlainPaul. Monday. I'm also on Instagram, at MetalheadMonday. Come say hi. In your Rife, where can we find you? Uh, I like Twitter at Joe Rife, J O E R I F E, and Instagram, L Ray 4, E L R E Y, number four. And why is that L Ray 4? Um, when I was in high school, I ran for Spanish club president, but I didn't want to be the president, I want to be the king, so I ran for <laughs> L Ray. <laughs> and the Strokes' last record looked like was 2013. So maybe before that, 2011 goes on down. You can find me, Foggy's Pal, at Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at breakthefourth.com as well. So next week, The Strokes, The New Abnormal, 1970s top five songs. I promise no more than one rush. I know I promised moratorium, but come on, you can't take away a whole decade from me. So just one there. 
and Lester Bangs brought to you by me. I think that's it, fellas. Thanks for spending the evening with me. We'll see everybody next week. Bye now.